0: You could win in APCO's Cash for Chrissy competition. That's right, APCO Joe. There's 1K to brighten your day. And 1K to give away to a mate for Christmas. APCO's Cash for Chrissy. On now at APCO.
1: The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Jordan Canellis with you on a Monday night on the Sporting Capital. Good to be in your company. You can send us a text 0433 98 1116. Give us a call for Harcourts, your move, your Harcourts. One three hundred seven three six seven three six. Plenty to get through this hour on the program. We'll have Josh Vanderloo, who is the GM of operations at Hawthorne. He'll be with us on uh, in about half an hour from now to chat about the uh, start of the AFLW season and the news over the weekend that they uh, successfully moved the game to Marvel Stadium, their first game, uh, and Essendon. They're equally as part of this as well. They're equal, uh, well each of their first. Games in the uh, new AFLW season and uh, their inaugural games uh, will be played at Marble Stadium in two weekends from now. So they moved it from Northport Oval to Marble because of uh, an inundation of... Uh, ticket sales i sold out north port oval uh, in i think 24 hours so moving it to marvel and that's what we'll chat about with uh, josh vandelou from the hawks later on in this hour we'll get your heroes and villains so start thinking now send them through 0433 981116 off the text who the hero was from the weekend and who your villain was from the weekend you can give us a call on that as well 1300 736 736 taking your calls throughout the course of the hour Uh, Later on, we'll have the first serve as well. Brett Phillips back in his regular time slot on a Monday night at 8pm. So that'll be in an hour from now. A couple of points from the weekend, though. So I did say we'll chat about the rest of the weekend of football. Uh, We did that with Matt Rendell, but a couple of other bits and pieces to pick from. Uh, I'm amazed, really. When you look back at the season, all told, and we see the journeys of each club, it's amazing to me that Richmond secured their finals berth before Carlton did, considering their starts to the season. Carlton were eight and two to start the season and were in the top four or five for most of the campaign. Um their uh, their uh one uh, win against the Bulldogs uh and or one 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 Bulldogs win against Hawthorne and then one of their own losses to Collingwood away from missing finals uh, entirely this upcoming weekend. So if the Dogs get the job done against the Hawks, uh, and if uh, the Blues lose to the Pies, that's the season done for uh, for for the Blues. The Blues game on Saturday night it was a bit of fun from the neutral perspective. So a proper arm wrestle in the first half. Dowler low scoring, but if you if you enjoy the the footy and the battle that was going on defensively, you would have liked it. But it broke open into a into a lead changing, high stakes desperation game. ...at the end of the match and finished off by an almighty finish with uh, Cosy Pickett's winning goal. But the Blues weren't great overall. Uh, they had some facets down. The defence was pretty good for, for the most part of the game, except for when it mattered. Um, the attack was held, though. The midfield was overpowered around the ground by the excellence of Oliver, Viney and Brayshaw... ...who just work harder than anyone. Carlton clearly missed Hewitt and Kennedy... And although Mackay kicked three goals, both he and Charlie Kerno were largely overpowered by May and Petty, and Carlton couldn't take a mark inside 50. Probably their best marking target inside 50. So Mackay took a few. I'm not saying he was completely blanketed. Took a couple of marks inside 50, kicked three goals, but he didn't have the continued or the continual presence throughout the game as he has in the past. The other one was Jack Martin popped up with a couple of marks. It does perplex me, though, why Tom De Koning was dropped. Um, whether it was a niggle in in his body. You know, Mark Pittenett's come back, so allowing Tom De Koning a week off. But against Melbourne in a high-stakes last fortnight that Carlton have, I don't know if that was the right move. Richmond, on the other hand, were middling at 6-5 and five halfway through the season, sitting in 10th after Round 12. They were in 10th again at Round 19, so just a few weeks ago, and still qualified for the finals before Carlton did. The Tigers, they tore the Hawks to shreds yesterday and have won three in a row, including a win over Brisbane a couple of weeks back. That is an experienced team with a good coach, giving themselves the best chance they can for, se- for September. Even if they are not going to be one of the absolute favourites, they'll still be a threat. Uh, it means that the top eight will be all decided on Sunday. So Carlton have a game head start on uh, on Western Bulldogs and St Kilda on the ladder, 48 points to 44 uh, so even if they lose the, um, even if they, it's uh, 48 points. Yes, they are on 48 points. Just making sure I've got my numbers right. Um, so they'll have to hope the Dogs lose the first game against the uh, against the Hawks and St. Kilda lose the last for the Blues to qualify. And obviously if that, if, so if the Dogs lose that first game against Hawthorne and St. Kilda lose the last game to, St. to, to, to Sydney, Carlton can still lose their game and make it. Uh, but obviously they'll want to win, especially against Collingwood. The Saints are starting from a long way back and percentage doesn't give them a great shot. They can make the finals, the Saints, but they'll have to win by, you know, 10 goals and then Carlton has to lose by 10 goals and St Kilda make it. So it's realistically the Dogs, they're the ones that are in the in the, in the proper one-on-one battle against Carlton. Uh, but they have to do it down in Launceston against the Hawks. The Dogs haven't beaten Hawthorne down in Launceston since 2008 and have lost four in a row since then against Hawthorne. However, they did beat Essendon in an elimination final last year at that venue. And I asked Matt Randell before, I'm curious to get a gauge of where Fremantles sit in people's minds. They have uh, the chance to make the top four as well if they win and things go their way. The Dockers have the Giants this upcoming weekend, so it's a winnable game. They're the one team floating around, not gaining much attention at the moment, but they could enter the finals on a three-game winning streak if they triumph against the Giants this weekend. And their only games dropped since round ten would be against what was then an informed Carlton, uh, followed by Sydney, the draw against Richmond, and Melbourne. If if they win against the Giants, those are the only games, the ones that I just read out, that they would have dropped in the second half of the season. So even though people are going a little cold on Fremantle, when you stack it up like that, it's not uh, it's not all that uh, it's not all that bad. One three hundred seven three six seven three six. Let's go to Steve, who's with us from Malvern to chat about the Lions. Uh, evening to you, Steve. How's things? Yeah, good evening. No, I'm well, thanks, and thanks for taking my call. What's on your mind, the Lions? Yeah, I was listening to Maddie Rendell,
0: and, I mean, the season's been terrific. Um, and um, <laughs> whether whether the Lions are going under the radar or I, I don't really know. Like, Rainer played exceptionally well in the forward line. I look at the lines forward line, and it's so potent. Um, any of the players could have a breakout. Even Danaher or Charlie McStay can kick a few. Rainer can kick a few. I look at the ruck. There's Oscar McInerney, and uh, there's a, they've got a, a backup ruckman, Darcy Ford, who's a good ruckman who's contributed really well during the season. And I, I'm sort of looking at their back line too. So they've got, like, Coleman with Rich at the half-back line. So they've added some pace with uh, Coleman and Archie. Uh, and they've added the beast, Matheson, for the hardball. Yet, um, where do you see the match? Do you think they could be the X Factor or surprise, a team or two in the finals?
1: Brisbane in general. Um, yes, I do. I I think the one thing that a lot of people are hesitant on with the Lions is just their. I know they they have a decent spread of goal scorers, but when you when you need to rely on your your key forwards, um, to 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 be the the presence in the forward line, to me they just don't have that presence. It feels like those key forwards are a bit impotent, and that's probably the easy the easy criticism or critical point of of Brisbane is Danaher, who is you know on his day is good, but his days are. Uh, uh, I was going to say fleeting, but that's too harsh. They 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 come and go, and sometimes he just goes cold. Hipwood doesn't have the presence of a of a key forward that I think he should have by this point in his career. Uh, McStay has presence, but he's not the he's not the, the the first or second choice key forward ideally in this in this team. But he can score. That's probably the main point. It's just I think I think that's that's probably the easy criticism. But then in general, yes, they do have X factor. They do have ability. The Lions, but. It feels like too often they can just be completely uncompetitive in a game and and can go missing, and that's that's probably the one thing that is just I don't think people are convinced of them as a as a uh, as a as a gritty team who can win those high intensity matches in finals because they just haven't done it over the last three years.
0: That's a very very good point. I, I was thinking they they did play Sydney earlier in the year. And they just they choked Sydney. They really mothered them and beat them convincingly I thought that was a, a really good win um, yeah I'm not sure either I suppose just got to wait and find out to see how they go I'm and if t- they fold this year what, what what could it be I mean they seem to have terrific players, good back line good midfield good forward line yet they can't put it together Oh and yeah. if I'm, they I'm, fail I'm, this I'm,
1: year go ahead sorry
0: Oh, sorry, yeah. Like, on, on paper, um, I mean, they look great. And when they're firing, um, geez, I can move the ball so quick. Um, I don't know. I can't put my finger on it.
1: Yeah, on, on paper, like, individually, the, the players, you know, raw talent is right there. They're one of the best. They, they would be one of the best teams. If you could somehow somehow measure or, or sort of quantify raw talent, Brisbane would be right up there across all their players on the field. It's It's maybe just a mental thing. It's. It might be. It might be something deeper in the coaching aspect of it. Just. I don't yeah. I don't know. It's a, a, a bit too deep for us mere mortals. Only coaches would know what, <laughs> what that is like. But but maybe it is. Maybe it is Chris Fagan just unable to draw out that last ounce from his team. But um, if the I mean the Lions the Lions window will be open for a little while still because their team isn't old. So even if they do fail this season. Um, I would expect them to still linger around for the next couple of years just because of the, the, the list profile.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was thinking also, Charlie Cameron, I was I was looking at Shy Bolton. He's an incredible uh, footballer. He's, like, amazing. And I was trying to think, who have the Lions got that could, could compare with Shai Bolton playing that particular role? And the first player that came to mind was Charlie Cameron, I think, could play that sort of role where he runs midfield to the forward line. because he's, hey, would you say Charlie is actually faster than Shy Bolton?
1: Um, oh, they'd probably probably be similar. I would say yeah, you know, I'd probably say Charlie Cameron would be faster than Shy Bolton. I think Cameron's got more speed, uh whereas Bolton's probably better in traffic and just a bit more fleet-footed. Um, although Cameron can do that as well, but Bolton may be more so. Um yeah, Bolton maybe the only the maybe the difference with, with Cameron is that he he and McCarthy, Lincoln McCarthy, are maybe the only two players who, who do that for Brisbane where they can be that X Factor player who can break lines in the forward half, make space, uh, and open up a chance, but but they're the only two who do it. So often they get the they get the lockdown defender and, and uh, it was um, Daniel Rioli who closed down Cameron a few weeks ago and did a, a great job on him at the MCG. Whereas Richmond have maybe a few more players who can do that. They've got more line breakers, more wide runners, uh, more width in that team. So it's not just, they're not only looking to Shy Bolton to win them the game, uh, but often it, it can be him. Whereas Brisbane, it feels like there's, there's fewer X-Factor players in that team. And so more reliance is on Cameron and McCarthy to be that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for that. Thanks for your opinion. It's um, sort of, uh, yeah, it's made the... Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you, Steve. It's always exciting analysing teams uh, heading into finals and where all the uh, the games might be won in the minutia. Joe from Point Cook, I think, uh, wants to have a similar chat but about the Cats. Evening to you, Joe.
2: Good evening. How are you going there tonight?
1: Good, good. Geelong, what are your thoughts?
2: Good. One of my thoughts, how far ahead are they of, of the pack, to be honest, or are they just going to be known as... The constant July premiers, because I still think that the Tigers are hitting their straps at the right end of the season. I'm a hawk supporter, mm-hmm. and I've seen them. The Hawks go back to back to back, and you know these Tigers are old. They're showing glimpses, and the way they tore us apart in that third quarter, I'd actually be rather be sitting on the Richmond bandwagon than actually getting on the Cats. I reckon the Cats are just known as the July specialists.
1: Richmond, they are setting themselves up nicely for a good run. This is an experienced team doing uh, exactly what they need to, a well-coached team doing what they need to, to win games at the back end of the season, to to springboard them into finals. Uh, I was looking up at the screen before in the studio and I saw Joey Montagna had uh, on Fox footy the Tigers as his number three seed, which raised my eyebrows. I don't think I've got them that high, but but they are a team that you wouldn't want to come up against in finals for Geelong I think the story for the Cats is different this season so I I've you know normally been just part of the the crowd and you know another voice in the chorus about Geelong over the last couple of years of you know they're old and they can't win in finals and they're you know they're a home and away team but this season genuinely feels different for me for the Cats because uh they they've got what they had already under Chris Scott in previous seasons which was a sound defense um uh you know a, a pretty reasonable um a uh, pretty reasonable back line, which then flows onto the midfield. But the midfield moves the ball faster this season and the forward line is more potent. So I think they're about two goals better, which doesn't seem like a big number. But when you're going from averaging, I think it was 83 points a game last season to then this season, about 95 points a game. If you're going from only scoring about 80 to 85 points to almost hitting 100 on average, that's a that's a big jump. Even if it's only two or three goals, that's a big jump. And so I think just that scoring differential... Uh, actually shows us that Geelong have made significant change this season in in how they how they play their game how it outputs on the scoreboard and for me that makes them a, a uh, that makes them the biggest threat. I think they are ahead of the pack, not miles. I think Sydney are a great team as I mentioned earlier, but I think Geelong that's that's how I would measure it for the Cats, Joe.
2: No dramas, thank you. Have a lovely night.
1: Thank you, Joe. You too. Uh, Dave is with us in Richmond's Evening to you, Dave. Hi,
2: how are you doing?
1: Good. You want to chat about the Hawks and I the Tigers? I was at the game
2: yesterday. Uh, brilliant. Why, Richmond? I thought the last quarter was just a bit of a waste of time. I thought they should just put the flag <laughs> up and stop it because it was just a bit of a belting.
1: Mercy rule. <laughs>
2: um, I think everyone's done the uh, the squiggle ladder protector thing-o. And Richmond can actually have a pretty good run through if they finish 7th. And I think we need Brisbane and Fremantle to win to play either Collingwood or Melbourne in the first week. It actually gets better if Sydney loses to St. King. Richmond would actually then play all their games at home, potentially against Victorian teams on the way through. But that's... As your previous caller said... Um, Richmond's hitting their straps. You've got to win four games. You've got to win... We're going to, have to win one game interstate, which is going to be hard in the second week. I fancy us being either a Collingwood or a Melbourne. But going up to Brisbane, which is one of the likely outcomes, is going to be very difficult, isn't it?
1: So you... you, you Well, you've beaten Brisbane before in, in Brisbane in finals. So you've got, you've got form yeah. there. Different squad uh, now. You had a couple of players um, retire since then. But... Uh, So you'd say you'd be confident as a Richmond fan playing Collingwood in finals?
2: I think we'd tail them up. I don't think they'd be able to run with this. You saw yesterday with a good defensive team like Sydney, Collingwood's scoring ability was really stifled. Mm. Um, And their percentage this year is only, what, 103 or 104 or something. So although they've been in a lot of games and won close games, they haven't actually beaten really good teams. They haven't beaten Geelong. Mm. They haven't beaten Richmond. If you say Richmond's a good team, they haven't beaten Sydney, and they haven't beaten the Brisbane Lions, have they? So who have they actually beaten? That's really good, other than Melbourne. But they're falling off the, the train, haven't
1: they? Yeah. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. So you think that's uh, how how deep can Richmond go then? If you if you if you're measuring up that run, semi-finals, prelim.
2: I think it depends on who we beat meet the second week, I think we'll get through the first week regardless. Yeah. I think they're, they're just set themselves up. I don't think they're scared of Melbourne or Collingwood. They're going to Brisbane or potentially a Sydney's hard, but then if there was a semi-final back at the G against the Collingwood who lost to, say, Brisbane away, which is one of the permutations, I would fancy then beating Collingwood. I think Collingwood's going to get thrown out in straight sets regardless. I don't think they're up to it. Big call. Cool. Uh, I think it's going to be... My i worked out it's going to be Sydney in the grand final. They're going to have an easy run in if they do get two home finals. Yep. They're on the better side of the draw, if you call it that. And then it'll be either Geelong, Brisbane, or Richmond.
1: Mm, all right. I like it. I like it, Dave. I thank you.
2: You can eliminate. Yep.
1: Thank you, Dave. I appreciate it. Dave from Richmond. I like I like someone who works it all out like that. Works out the home games, the advantages, the double chance. Uh, we'll take a quick break here on the Sporting Capital this Monday night. Josh Vandaloo will be with us in a moment to chat about the Hawks AFLW season, which has been uh, the start of it. Move to Marvel this upcoming, uh, well, two weekends from now, Saturday week. Uh, But more of your thoughts on the other side of this here on SEN. You're listening to The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Sporting Capital, Jordan Canellis with you on a Monday night. Luke is with us from Croydon. He'll be our last caller for now. Luke, evening. What's on your mind?
2: Good evening, mate. Uh, I'm sorry to put the calling with supporters down, but calling with a good stroke. And they're, they are no final
0: strokes.
1: Yeah, well, with this team, though, that's past form. What about this squad? Different <sighs> coach. They're
0: overrated. Like, Collingwood are just
1: overrated. Well, That's- I'll I'll have a look. I'll have i uh, I'll quickly read out their results from this season. So, uh previous caller was talking about who have they beaten. That was uh, Dave in Richmond. So, these are the teams that you could mark down as, uh, as, you know, big scalps, let's say, this season for the Pies. They have beaten uh, Melbourne twice. They defeated Carlton back in round 11. Fremantle away in round 10. And every other team is in the bottom bottom uh, 10 on the ladder. So what was that? Melbourne twice, Carlton, Fremantle. Those are the those are the scalps. Every other team, Port Adelaide, Essendon, Adelaide, North, Gold Coast, Giants. The Gold Coast win was all right. That was an away game, and the and the Suns were sort of, you know, they were making a little push for the eight. They weren't an easy beat. That was a five-point win, mind you, for Collingwood, so it wasn't easy. Uh, another win against the Gold Coast earlier in the season, and then St Kilda back in round number one. So that's kind of... That's the extent, I guess, if you uh, if you want to really measure up the, the quality of wins that Collingwood have had. And don't forget all these recent wins that they've had in this uh, 11-game winning streak were all tight games. So I like the Pies. I like what they've brought to the table. I like the way they play their football. But yes, when you do look at the results, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago, and it's not nothing new, but they have, you know, scraped through a lot of those games by the skin of their teeth against teams that aren't Geelong or Sydney or Brisbane or Melbourne. They are they beat Melbourne twice, but they are the, the lower ranked teams in the league. So I'm curious to see how they go in finals. I do like them, I want them to do well. We'll see. Josh Vanderloo from Hawthorne AFLW up next. You're listening to The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Jordan Canellas filling in for Sam Hargraves tonight on SEN. Good to be in your company. You can send us a text at any time zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen if you'd like to get involved. Off the text machine or give us a call, one three hundred seven 736 We'll have uh, at 8 o'clock, Brett Phillips with the first serve coming your way back in his regular time slot to bring you everything that's been happening in the world of tennis. But we've still got half an hour with you here on the Sporting Capital and plenty to get through. From an AFLW perspective, the good story of the weekend was the news that Hawthorne and Essendon's Round 1 meeting in two weekends from now uh, in each their inaugural games in the women's competition has been moved to Marvel Stadium due to an unprecedented ticket demand. Josh Vanderloo is Hawthorne's GM of operations and major projects, and he's with us uh, on the Sporting Capital tonight. Evening to you, Josh. How's things? Oh, I can't hear Josh. I got you there, Josh. How you doing, Jordan? Good, good. There we go. How's things? <laughs>
3: Yeah, not too bad. Incredibly exciting time for the club. Um, yeah, moving to Marvel—it's what we were looking forward to.
1: Absolutely. How confident were you that the game would be moved to Marvel?
3: Uh, look, we were confident our our fan base and that of Essendon's as well would certainly show up and and want to support. So, um, when tickets went on sale and that occurred, we were, we were pretty confident the game would be moved because you don't want to lock fans out.
1: Was it? Clubs, players, fans—who was who was the, the main, the the primary instigator in the groundswell to have the venue shifted? Because this has been a movement that's been a couple of weeks in the making.
3: Yeah, I think you go back to the uh, announcement of the fixture, and, and our coach um, was very vocal at the time, Beck Goddard. Um, but really, it comes from a club perspective. We want our players playing on the best grounds um, in stadiums. We want to pack it out. We want to give the best experience for the players, fans, our club. And, and it's an inaugural season, so um, it's a historic time for the club and for Essendon and the competition as it grows. So um, why not get it on the best best place possible to play?
1: How much communication was there with, uh, with Essendon as well? Because they're obviously 50% part of this game as well. How much communication with them to help initiate the move?
3: Yeah, of course we have to have to talk through it with them. It's actually their home game, so they've been great partners in in the concept. And um, yeah, their home game, their fans, but our fans will will definitely be coming along too.
1: Aside from just having a bigger crowd, what does playing the game at Marvel Stadium actually mean for the team and the club?
3: Oh, look, it's, as I said before, it's a historic uh, occasion for the club. We've we've waited a long time to to join this competition. We've had a very successful VFLW program. Um, we get to step up to the, to the big competition now. So we're newcomers. We're realistic about what that means. Everything's a first for us. So it's been our first pre-season, our first camp, our first travel uh, across borders to Perth in a practice match, our first game at the MCG against Richmond on the weekend, and and, um, and round one coming up. So there's a lot of firsts. It's exciting. The players, the the coaches, all the staff um can't wait for it to begin.
1: So I'm sure you're just wanting to get to that first game and then and then worry about what happens afterwards. But if you do look down the track, would you look to, to maybe to do this again and if if the support is there, if there's another unprecedented uh, demand in ticket sales, would you would you look at moving another game down the track to Marvel?
3: Yeah, well, I think all those options have to be considered, don't they? Um, Our first home game will be the weekend after at Box Hill City Oval. Um, we've got another game in round three there. Look, if... If there's interest, if the demand is there, you you need to play these games at at the best possible stadiums, like I I keep saying. So all of AFLW has been a groundswell since it began. New fans, new players, new heroes for for people to support. Um, It's all about opportunity. So if if there's demand there, let's do it. I
1: guess the housekeeping for those listening and interested in attending the game, what does it mean, this move in the venue, for fans who have already had tickets to... uh... To North Port Oval, or I think at ETU Stadium it's called now. And how easy uh, is it just in general, the logistics to move venues this, uh, or about two weeks out?
3: Yeah, so everybody that already purchased the ticket automatically gets transferred across, and, and ticket sales um, are there available via the Hawks website, via Essendon's website. Um, so it should be a pretty seamless process from here for anyone that wants to wants to get along. Uh, it's ten dollars for adults. It's it's free for children. Um, it'll be a comfortable and great experience. So um, yeah, we encourage everyone to everyone to get along uh,
1: during the week or during last week. Anyway, Tilly Lucas Rod was made your first captain with Jess Duffin her vice captain. Uh, She knows a little bit about being in inaugural teams. Lucas Rod being in uh, Carlton's first team back in the inaugural season and then St Kilda when they were introduced in 2020. How critical will her experience, among the other veterans, be in helping this uh, new squad?
3: Absolutely critical. Tilly's been brilliant since she's come across from St Kilda. Um, We've got a dozen players on our list that have had AFLW experience, um, which means there's going to be a lot of first-timers playing in that round one game. Um, so having that experience, having people like Tilly as captain, um, Caitlin Ashmore, Jess Duffin, as you mentioned, um, they know what it's all about. They know what the experience will, will be like and, um, and that'll be, uh, enable our younger players to follow.
1: Was it, a, uh, was it a, a, a coach's decision, executive, or was it voted by the playing group, the captain?
3: Yeah so a, a combination of all really the players certainly uh, were involved in the process um had an opportunity p- to put forward votes um but it's not a simple um step process like that it, it started um right from the start of pre-season we have leadership discussions and and um and tr- really try and identify um who has the capability what are the characteristics we want in our leaders at the club um, we talked about it further at our, at our camp. Um, and then, yeah, the players had a vote, the coaches all got around and, and Tilly got the nod. Um, but it's part of a leadership group of, of four players that have that experience, um, which is just going to be critical for us uh, as, as newcomers to the competition.
1: From your point of view, uh, GM of uh, major projects and operations, how easy or how smooth have preparations been to set this all up?
3: <laughs> it's a great question. It's it's certainly come at us really fast. So if you if you rewind back about three or four months, we, we didn't have any players and we didn't have any staff, but we, we had a dream and a desire to enter the competition. Um, what bringing it forward did was really sharpen everyone's focus. So we, we, we got, um, got to task really quickly. As I said, we had a, a really successful VFLW program. We built on that. Um, we brought in our first initial signings we went to the draft. We added our VFLW players across the competition who were performing really well, built a high performance team, started identifying coaches. And, and really the last couple of weeks has, has been testing all that out through these practice matches so that we're ready for round one. Um, yeah, can't stress enough how, how fast it's happened, but um, we're really proud of the environment that's been created. Beck's driven some really fantastic standards. She's teaching a new game plan, um, as I keep saying, we're newcomers, but we want to be able to compete straight away and we're looking forward to that opportunity to play on the big stage.
1: Which was the, uh, which was the most stressful part of that build up?
3: Oh, <laughs> I don't know if it's stressful. I'd say the most exciting part was definitely the draft because you don't know which players you're going to add. And we had seven picks in, in that first round. So um, probably stressful and you don't know what you're going to get, but, um, mm. but really pleased when you walk out and you get to finish your squad off and and bring them into training. Um, one of those draftees, we got we've got five players doing year twelve still. Um, we've got seventeen-year-olds on our list. It adds a whole new complexity uh, to list management and, and building a team that we'd never really considered before. But that's the that's the exciting part of all this, and they they fit in really well.
1: Does it feel like everything is ready now?
3: It does. It does. We're ready to go. We've had, we've had our practice matches. Um, yeah, we're ready for round one.
1: Bet Goddard has been involved with the club for several years now, first joining as the, the VFLW coach, so she isn't uh, a brand new face uh, just arriving before your first AFLW season as the head coach, she knows the environment of the club, what kind of advantages does that allow the team?
3: Oh, exactly that, she's done this before, she's a premiership coach, um, she's lived and breathed it, um, so... When I when I talk about building that high-performance environment and knowing what standards to drive, she's done that before. Um, she knows how to impress that up, up, upon a young group. Um, with the coaching staff around her, um, they've got various levels of coaching experience, but um, they're able to tap into her and understand um, what it takes to get the best out of a group. So um, I've seen that firsthand. Beck's been brilliant, and, um, and the players are really looking forward to playing under her
1: your hit out at the MCG yesterday in the practice game against the Tigers the result didn't go the way with the result but what what was the general sentiment uh, that the squad and, and the team took away from that game?
3: Yeah, I think it's what I, what I was saying before we got the opportunity to practice like we came up against a Richmond side who have done this before this, this year and in previous seasons that, I think they've got a really good handle on, on what their best team looks like and, and put that out on the park we're still trying to find out what our best team um, looks like, um, yeah, that new coaching group creating that cohesion. Um, there was a lot of testing for us in that game, testing players in different positions, um, testing our ball movement. So we got a really good um, experience there, seeing what the level looks like, and, and we'll only grow from there.
1: Give us some some names. There's a couple of a uh, couple of well-known names in this squad that's uh, that a lot of. Um, AFLW watchers would know, as we mentioned before, Tilly Lucas, Rod, the captain, uh, Jess Duffins in there as well. Um, uh, Caitlin Ashmore's uh, been a regular part of AFLW since the start. Jazz Fleming's the the, uh, the your first draft pick from uh, from the draft just gone. But are there any any uh, diamonds in the rough that Hawks fans should keep an eye on for this season?
3: Yeah, you certainly called out a, a lot of the prime movers that have really impressed us uh, across preseason. We've got. A player like Sarah Perkins coming back who's a lifelong Hawthorne supporter um, who'll play up forward and, and, and give us a really strong presence. Um... Uh, other draftees that we, that we brought in early picks. Lucy Wales has, has been great in the ruck the last couple of weeks and we're really excited by her future prospects just as we are with uh, Mackenzie Erdley, who was our second pick in the draft. Um, she's a tall defender, um, really quick um, aggressive at the ball um, and she's uh, shown some really good signs early as well. So uh, what you'll see from us is that mixture of um, youth that are new to the game and getting their first opportunities and and our fans will get to see what the next generation looks like, and, and they'll be well led by uh, those players that have done this before, and, and bring that experience. And all the names you already mentioned—they've had great pre-seasons and, and um, should start really well.
1: The club opened up its uh, women's membership packages a few weeks ago. What have the, the numbers been like early doors?
3: Yeah, we're, we're past three thousand now, so it's been a it's been a great result. Um, um, it's only been on offer the last uh, month or so. Um, we encourage as many. Uh, supporters as possible to to get out there and it's a $50 membership, it gets you access to all the games um, brings you into the inner sanctum for the the inaugural season so um, we add that alongside the the close to 80,000 members of the club more broadly um, puts us in a really great position so if there's Hawks supporters or any supporters of women's sport out there um, sport in general that are looking for a club to follow um, jump on board, it'll be a great experience for the next few months
1: and last one, Josh. What uh, what goals is the team setting itself this year? So as one of the the four new teams, uh, how how lofty or how modest are these objectives that you'll have for the season?
3: Yeah, it's certainly not wins and losses. It's all about getting the building blocks right. So when I when I talk about getting that, uh, embedding that high performance environment and, and teaching a new game plan and and driving standards, they're the things we're really going to measure ourselves on. So um, look, it's going to be great to get a few wins along along the way. The first win. Uh, will be exciting, um, but it's really not about that at this point in time. It's if we get all those things set up um, in this first season, that's going to set ourselves up for um, sustained success going forward, and, and that's really what it's all about as, as newcomers into the competition.
1: Josh, thank you so much for joining us on the on the Sporting Capital. Good luck for the season ahead and, uh, and great news over the weekend with the venue move. Uh, good luck.
3: Not a problem. Thanks very much for having me.
1: Josh Vanderloo from Hawthorne, the Hawthorne Football Club, the GM of operations and major projects and uh, keeping a close tab on the women's team. So the AFLW, their first game at Hawthorne against Essendon, uh, Essendon the home team, but at 7.10pm Saturday the 27th of August, so Saturday week, two away from now, at Marvel Stadium. It has been moved after there were were calls for that game to be moved from North Port Oval to Marvel Stadium, and the uh, the unprecedented demand for tickets uh, warranted that venue to be shifted. So uh, Marvel Stadium is where it'll be in round one for uh, the inaugural game of both of those teams, both new clubs to the AFLW this season. Season number seven of the AFLW competition. We'll take our final break here on the program, the Sporting Capital, on a Monday night. Brett Phillips with the first serve not far away. We'll get to your thoughts. We'll have a look around the rest of the world of sports and uh, we'll close out this first uh, we'll close out this uh, first day of the week next you're listening to the sporting capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN Final segment of the night here on the Sporting Capital. Jordan Canellas filling in for Sam Hargraves this Monday evening. Brett Phillips not far away with the first serve at 8pm. And Trail Town's coming up from 9pm with Vandy and Dietz. They're back in Australia, so make sure you're tuning in for your latest in cycling. But as we round out the program tonight, a um, couple of heroes and villains. I put this out at the top of the hour. There are a few that came in. I'll get, uh, I will sort a text from Dean come in earlier, so I'll quickly... Wrangle that one up. There it is. Dean's uh, heroes and villains. His heroes, Melbourne Storm, for their shutout win of the Penrith Panthers, which was remarkable back on uh, Thursday night. Sixteen to zero win for the Melbourne Storm uh, after they had a four-game losing streak. They've now won three in a row, I think it is. Uh, so they've put themselves back in the top four. The Storm uh, and Cosie Pickett for the winning uh, the winner. Blah, the winning goal against uh, Carlton for Melbourne and villains. Uh, for Dean, uh, the boers of Jack Guinness on the weekend, which is a good one. The Wallabies losing forty-three to seventeen to Los Pumas of Argentina uh, in the Rugby Championship, and Manchester United in the relegation zone uh, as well. So, are they in the relegation zone? Oh my goodness! So they four-nil loss on the weekend. To uh, I mean, it's only the second break of the Premier League season, so it doesn't really mean too much just yet if you're in the relegation zone. But uh, oh yeah, oh wow, they're dead last. Wow. Great start to the season for Manchester United, isn't it? Well, if you if you're a non-United fan, it would be, but uh, if you're a Red Devils supporter, you'd be having an absolute hellish time right now after uh, their start to the season. Which takes us into our uh, little just recap of the weekend in sport away from AFL. So, on top of the Melbourne Storms' great win on Thursday against the Panthers, sixteen to zero. So, just a bit of context: the Panthers had only lost two games before that match. Uh, on the on the weekends, and the Melbourne Storm had been in some pretty ordinary form, but the Storm, away to Penrith, uh, got the win 16-0. First uh, win that's, or um, well, the first loss, I beg your pardon, that the Panthers had had where they were kept scoreless since 2015. So it's been quite some time. Puts the Storm back into the top four. Uh, the other results, the big winners on the weekend, the Rabbitohs also shut out the, pa- uh, the Parramatta Eels, 26-0. So the Rabbitohs jump into 5th on the ladder, and the Eels slide down from 5th into 7th. And the other big winner in the NRL was the Sydney Roosters, 32-18 victors over the 2nd-place North Queensland Cowboys. So both 1st and 2nd on the ladder in the NRL had losses this weekend. And there was a handy win for the Canberra Raiders, just edged out the St. George Illawarra Dragons by 2 points, 24-22, and keeps Raiders, keeps the Raiders within the touching distance of the top eight with three weeks to go in the NRL season. Uh, the crucial clashes coming up this week. You've got uh, the Rabbitohs on Thursday night against the Panthers, so they'll host this fifth versus first clash in the NRL. Uh, the Storm play the Broncos. This will be sixth v. fourth, and that one is up at Suncorp Stadium, so a home game for the Broncos. Crucial clash for the Melbourne Storm. Uh, the Cronulla Sharks might have a little banana peel game in the Manly Seagulls, who sit in 10th on the ladder. And I reckon those would be the... Those, those are the key ones. There's, there's four for you for the weekend in NRL coming up. Uh, in the EPL over the weekend, so we mentioned Manchester United, their 4-0 loss to Bournemouth, who uh, who scored uh, all four goals... Uh, to Bournemouth, to Brentford, I beg your pardon. Man City beat Bournemouth 4-0, but Manchester United lost to Brentford 4-0. All four of those goals coming in the first 35 minutes. Uh, and then this morning, uh, I was up late in the middle of the night watching Nottingham Forest against West Ham, uh, their first win in 23 years in the top flight of Premiership football. Uh, Nottingham Forest back in the top division, and they took a 1-0 win against West Ham. West Ham had a goal ruled out as well, so it might have been a draw at one stage, but Nottingham got the win. First win of the season, first goal of the season in their first home game of this season for Nottingham Forest. And the blockbuster game of the morning was Chelsea and Tottenham. A two-all draw. Uh, Chelsea twice had leads, and Tottenham twice scored equalisers. Harry Kane scoring in the 96th minute, I think it was. It was pretty damn late, 93rd minute, something like that. It was at the very death, and uh, Tottenham rescued a point. And then it all kicked off. It kicked off after the game had finished, because when the managers came to shake hands uh Thomas Tuchel the uh manager of Chelsea just held on a bit too hard a bit too long to Antonio Conte's hand the uh Tottenham manager and uh he didn't like it did the little Italian and they got right in each other's face and they were grappling and wrestling and every every technical staff member had to rush out from the bench to clear the fight and it was uh, it was unbelievable scenes the final game for the weekend is Liverpool uh, this, um, or tonight, tomorrow morning, 5am uh, tomorrow morning is when that game takes place. Liverpool against Crystal Palace. Um, the uh, round of 16 continues on in the Australia Cup this week. This is our uh, our Australian Cup competition in football, the round ball game. Uh, there'll be Adelaide City against Adelaide United, uh, all these matches on Wednesday. Melbourne City against Wellington Phoenix, Oakley Cannons against Brisbane City and Avondale against Brisbane Raw. So a couple of local teams taking on the A-League clubs in the Australia Cup. Uh, I won't go too deep into this because this is Brett Phillips' territory, but just a uh, a score from the weekend. In the final of the Canadian Open, uh, Pablo Carreño Busta defeated Hubert Hercach in the men's uh, in this Masters 1000 clash, two sets to one. And Simona Halep defeated Beatrice Haddad two sets to one in the women's final. And in the FedEx Cup playoffs, the first playoff on the weekends, it was won by Will Zalatoris, who defeated Sepp Stratka or Sepp Stracker, I beg your pardon, from Austria in a playoff. At the end of that one, uh, the highest placed Aussie was Adam Scott, who was tied for fifth. Um, he was 11 under, so four shots off the uh, eventual tied for first uh, getters in Will Zalatoris and Sepp Stracker. So those are your global sports updates from across the weekend. All the major events from this weekend in sport. NRL, second week of the Premier League. Uh, Good week for Arsenal as well, I failed to mention. Uh, 4-2 winners over Leicester. I have uh, almost an obligation to mention Arsenal whenever I talk Premier League, being an unabashed, biased Arsenal fan. So good win for the Gunners. Things are looking good for the red and white. Uh, Gabriel Jesus with two goals to uh, start that match for Arsenal. So a 4-2 win against Leicester City. And everything feels right in the world now that Arsenal are winning games. That's it for the Sporting Capital tonight. Uh, you can send BP a text, 0 98 11 he will go in a bit more depth into what happened in Canada over the last uh, week, week and a half. A uh, good run for Nick Kyrgios as well. He made the quarterfinals. He defeated Daniil Medvedev along the way, so it's been a big week for the Aussies. Alex Dimonor and Alec both won matches And made some deep runs too. So there's a bit to dissect with Brett Phillips in the world of tennis on the other side of this. Thank you for hanging out with us tonight. Um, Sam Hargraves, hopefully he's feeling better and will be back shortly on your airwaves. But we'll wrap it up for this evening. Have a safe one. Brett Phillips next, as I said. Trail Towns at 9pm. Make sure you tune in for that. And then back with more tomorrow morning from breakfast at 6am. That's it for the Sporting Capital. Catch you later. See ya.